In case you're wondering, that song will be stuck in your head forever. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's on the playlist that we do, so like in between services and that kind of thing. And so it's been in my head forever, and I, I, I saw that it was going to be played today, and, and I'm going to listen to it three times today, and it's it going to be awful. Uh, <laughs> No, I'm kidding. It's, they do a great job with that. So thank you for that. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian. Uh, I'm pastoral staff here. And so this is actually the second week I've preached here in a row. I, this is my first time ever doing this. So uh, this one was planned. Last week wasn't. This one was planned. So um, anyways, glad to, glad to be here. I'm normally in uh, Lower Town, St. Paul. And so uh, the band that played up here, they'll play for the 11 o'clock. And then they're actually going to pack up their stuff and, and head down to Lower Town uh, at 6 p.m. tonight. So thankful for them and, and all they do and sacrifice. And um, I know they enjoy it, right? They're not like, woe is me, but um, I know that they, they uh, it's, I know we all benefit from, from their, their hard work. So, um, yeah, everything is, uh, is not awful, but uh, everything can be. Yesterday, uh, my wife, Angela, and my little boy, Henry, <laughs> we had the opportunity to go to uh, the Mall of America, which I know normally the Mall of America is not normally like someone's like, oh, this is a great day, we're gonna go to the mall. Um, <laughs> But it really was a lot of fun. It was very crowded. We thought um, we were going to go to the zoo, and then it rained, and so we decided to do that. It was pretty, pretty crowded, but we went in there, and he just couldn't stop pointing things out and just oohing and on. and so we thought, man, we've got to try to get on this uh, um, Ferris wheel. And so we waited in line forever, and I thought, you know, my 15-month-old, he's going to melt. We were probably in there for 45 minutes waiting in line, and he didn't care. He was just having the time of his life, just people watching, and and we got on this ride, and as we were waiting, like someone went around once, and they were like, we want, we want off. This ride's taking too long, right? It was just kind of one of those weird things of like, said no one in the history of humanity, like this ride's just too long. Uh, I want to get off. And so, you know, especially when you pay the money to ride, like keep, just keep it going. Like I'm fine with this. So uh, we, we got on it, but, but it's funny because there's usually this, there's those people, right? You probably know them. If you don't know someone who thinks everything is awful, maybe, you, maybe you're that person who thinks everything is awful. And, um, you know, I've got a family friend that uh, I don't know why, but I follow on Facebook. Why do we do this to ourselves, right? Like, why do we? And, and just everything, just, just the other day, it was like, oh, I can't believe this happened. And that was it. And so, of course, all they want is someone, well, what happened? And it's okay, well, woe is me. I don't, just stop, Okay. Everything is not awful, right? But that's what we're going to see today. And we're going to see God responding to the Israelites saying, this is terrible. This is awful. And so we're going to be looking at the entire chapter of Exodus chapter 16. And uh, so this is our 20th week in the book of Exodus and looking at the gospel according to Moses and looking at something as ancient as the book of Exodus, how everything points forward to Jesus. And so looking forward to now this. A little different from last week. Last week we had six verses. This week we have 36 verses. So a lot more text, a lot more teaching. So we got out pretty early last week. <laughs> not this week. Uh, I'm pretty quick, but I'm not that quick. So we're going to take our time and we're going we're gonna to go through uh, this passage. So uh, just briefly, where are they? And just maybe a little bit of historical, where, where are they at physically, actually? And so uh, just the, right here in chapter uh, 16, and I'll have all this. I couldn't even fit like half the passage in the handout. So uh, anyways, so it'll all be up on the screen. Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 1, it says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And so, again, just kind of a cheap map, but they're basically just starting up 
they, a month ago, they would have been up there in, in Goshen, coming down, crossing the Red Sea. And they're just kind of following that, that uh, eastern uh, bank uh, of, of the Red Sea as they go down. It's funny, though, because every single city on here is like Elam, question mark, Mount Sinai, question mark. So they don't really know. So it's like, what's the point of this map? I don't know. It's just that's <laughs> approximately where they would have gone. In case you're interested. Okay, what time is it? All right, and I just mentioned that too, but it says, he, and Moses takes very meticulous care to keep track of where and when on dates and things like this. So he says, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. And so if you go back to looking at what would have been the 15th uh, uh, day of the month before, it was, it was Passover. So exactly one month has gone by since the, the physical exodus when Pharaoh says, get out of here from that moment, one month has expired. And in that time, they've seen God free them from Egypt. They've seen them, he's seen them part the Red Sea as they cross it and uh, across on dry land. He sees them drown Pharaoh and his army. They see them, he sees God provide water as we looked at last week in the middle of the wilderness. And so that's what's happened. They've seen all this happen in just one month. And then everything turns awful. Uh, for them, and they cry for pots of meat. It says this, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. All right, so the whole community, the entire body says, this is awful. And the Israelites said to them, said to Moses and Aaron, if only we had died by Yahweh's hand in Egypt. All right, why did he even, he should have just killed us in Egypt. It would have been better off. I would rather die there than die here. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And you're sitting there going, what? Did you just not, did you, what? Did you just not see what God did for all this stuff? And now you're saying it would be better, and going back to last week, God made a promise. He said, if you trust me, if you obey me, if you keep my commandments, I'm gonna bless you. But when you don't trust me, then I will release the plagues of Egypt on you. And so it's just kind of building up right away. Turn around. We sat around pots of meat. I actually Googled pots of meat. And for the vegans and vegetarians, I'm not going to show you images of pots of meat. But, but this came up. All right, this, this cartoony picture of the Israelites groaning and mumbling and murmuring against, against Moses and Aaron and against Yahweh, saying, we want food. And remember, they were in slavery. Right? Yes, they had food, it was provided, but pots of meat? That's a little extravagant, I think, for a slave in Egypt. That's just a wild guess. But I think they were looking back to what it was, and that was not the case. So then God responds. God responds to their grumbling and their complaining. It says this, Then Yahweh said to Mo Moses, I will rain down what do you think it's gonna be here, right? He just said, if you obey me, if you trust me, I'm gonna provide for you. If you don't listen and obey, I'm gonna release plagues of Egypt against you. You're gonna suffer the same fate that they did because you're no longer acting like my people. I will rain down wrath. I will rain down lightning. I mean, what would you rain down, right? I mean, if this was you, you're Yahweh, you're God. I'm glad I'm not God. But if I was God and this is what happens to the people, I just trusted and with my provision over and over and over again, he says, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. 
right? If there's any of you in this room that say the God of the Old Testament, right? He's, he's all wrathy, and the God of the New Testament's love and cuddly. Listen, Old Testament God, New, it's the same God. It's Yahweh, it's the creator of the heavens and the earth who provided us his son, Jesus Christ. And right here, in a moment, he had every right to say, Israel, I'm just done. I'm done. What does he say? I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. He has already said that last week. He's giving them another chance to follow and worship and trust and obey Yahweh. He gives a little bit more uh, detail here. He says, on the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and it is to be twice as much as they gather on other days, okay? So, so one day through six, you gather normal, or one through five, you gather normal amount of, of this, this bread that's fallen from heaven, which we'll get into detail more about what that would be like. And then on the sixth day, they're supposed to bring twice in as much than on the other days. It's pretty, pretty simple, pretty simple rules. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, <laughs> how many times has Moses said this? In the evening, you will know that it was Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt. Right? Not, when he, not when you passed the Red Sea, not, 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 when, not when he provided water for you, not when he drowned the, the Egyptian army. And now we're gonna do this again. When he provides food for you, you will know that it was Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt. In the morning, you will see the glory of Yahweh because he has heard your grumbling against him. Right? Because before it says they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And Moses is saying, no, you, you grumbled against him. Right? And then he says it again. Who, who are we that you should grumble against us, Moses and Aaron. Moses also said, you will know that it was Yahweh when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he, ha he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? Right? He says it again. Like just, you're not saying this, right? You're not grumbling against us, but against Yahweh. And then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before Yahweh, for he has heard your grumbling. And while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of Yahweh appearing in the cloud. We can't even begin to imagine what this would be like. But there are going to be other passages we get in Exodus and just other passages in the Old Testament when it looks at uh, the Ark of the Covenant and the, the Shekinah glory of God that hovers over that, this cloud, and as he's going before them. But there's something different that happens here, because Aaron is talking to the, to, the, to, the, to the crowd, to the congregation, and something happens behind them in the desert that they all turn around. They all look to see what is happening. They see Yahweh, his glory, appearing in the cloud. And Yahweh said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you'll be filled with bread. And then you will know that I am Yahweh, your God. And that evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. All right, it's funny because right here, it's going to shift. And the rest of the time, it's only going to talk about this, this bread from heaven. But we cannot just overlook the quail. Right? Yeah, it might be a little bit more of a natural thing. It's not this miracle bread that just grows out of nothing. Right? These, these quail come in, but he provides for his people meat. Uh, there's no way for them to preserve meats. They would needed to be provided every single day, and that's what he does. And there was a layer of dew around the camp, and when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. All right, so what is it from heaven? 
When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Do you know what the Hebrew word is or how you say what is it in Hebrew? Manna. All right, so literally, manna from heaven, they would go out and say, hey, could you go out this morning and go get the what is it? Right, it's kind of like the, the whatchamacallit candy bar, right? It's one of my favorite candy bars, uh, actually, the whatchamacallits. You, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay, all right. They're, they're really tasty if you haven't had them before, right? And, and so anyways, it's caramel and chocolate. It's just these little crispy, like rice, it's just good. Um, okay, so that's what they said. What, what is it? That's manna. That's what they, what they called it. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that Yahweh has given you to eat. This is what Yahweh has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. So there was plenty of food. So an omer, or sometimes pronounced homer, um, there's probably a Simpsons joke in there. I wasn't allowed to watch Simpsons growing up, so I don't, I don't get the cultural reference. But there's a, there's a, there's a, a homer uh, for each person, and that was uh, equivalent to two quarts. Um, and I don't know, it was like 2.2 quarts. I don't know how they know these things, but someone wrote that down, and I believe them. So two quarts of, of uh, bread that they would go out, and they would measure it. And the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little, and when they measured it by the, by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered just as they needed. In other words, God, God's providing whether they have a lot of people in their tent or they have a few people in their tent, uh, they would just gather and they'd measure it in this jar uh, for an omer and they were all provided for. And then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. So is it really a big deal? Is it really a big deal if we don't obey God? This is what happens. However, <laughs> I saw this coming. However, there were some of them that paid no attention to Moses. I mean, what? Like, this is really simple math here. You do this, don't keep it till the morning. Some of them paid no attention to Moses. And they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. And so Moses was angry with them. You think? This is simple. Just do this. I love what Stuart uh, says about this. He says, the manna story represents yet another testing story. It is introduced as such in 16.4, which you just read, and features details that describe the way at least some of the Israelites failed to test at first, which we just read. Because the schedule for gathering the manna seemed counterintuitive to ancient agrarians, again, they didn't have refrigerators, there was no way, like, just think of any food that we have. This is before microwaves. This is before any instant anything. They had to grow their fruit and their food. It would, it would take months to yield some kind of food. They would feed their calves and, 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 and fatten them up before they would have enough food to feed them. Whatever it was, it took a long time. It was never instant, daily gratification with food. They didn't have that. So for God to say, you're not gonna prepare anything. You're not even gonna prepare it the night before. You're gonna go out every single morning and every morning you're gonna wake up and you're gonna say, do we even have food to eat today? And every day I'm gonna say, yes, you do. And you need to trust me on this. So because the schedule for gathering the manna seemed counterintuitive to ancient agrarians, it provided a way of testing Israel to see if they would obey not only those commandments that made perfect sense to them, but also those that did not. 
I wanna kind of jump ship, fast forward to, to us now here, give a little bit of application teaching points here from this, because I think there's some, there's some good things here, because I think that when we read scripture, we read certain laws or commands, whatever you wanna call it, that God gives for us and tells us how we should live as believers, as followers of Jesus, that we can look at them and say, man, that just doesn't really make sense. I mean, culture's changed, right? This whole like sex before marriage thing, living, like it's okay, right? It's not that big of a deal. I mean, lusting, I mean, it's impossible not to lust. It's, a, it's impossible not to covet a better job or, or my neighbor's car or my Jeep or whatever. You want these things. And we say these are arbitrary. Well, listen, God doesn't make arbitrary rules. He doesn't. But yet for us, do we view it that way? Do we look at it and say, this doesn't make sense to me, but still trust and obey God because he knows what he's doing. I wanna share this. Uh, this is called the cross chart. This is from a little kind of small group Bible study or personal Bible study uh, called The Gospel-Centered Life by, by a pastor named Bob Thune in Omaha, Nebraska. And, and uh, anyways, he, he talks about this. You, you've got your, your, your life uh, going on there. There's some point there where conversion happens. You, you bow the knee to Jesus, whether uh, for, for me it was a moment that I specifically remember. For others, it may be kind of this time, kind of like a, um, a C.S. Lewis kind of a, I got onto a bus and I got off and I was like, oh, I, th I think I'm, I believe in Jesus now. Like it just maybe kind of a, a thing that happens, but, but, but at one point you went from death to life. That's this conversion, my faith story, whatever you want to call that. And he talks about it as we mature as believers, this process of sanctification, that that top line, that arrow that kind of starts to go up, that we grow in our awareness of God's holiness. And that awareness of God's holiness is vital because God is always perfectly holy. We just sang, the first song we sang today was, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. It's the only time in, in Hebrew uh, when you repeat words, it adds more meaning. And it's the only thing that God is called three times. He's holy. And he's perfectly holy. And so as I grow and mature in my faith, I view God as more holy. He doesn't become more holy. I just start to see him more clearly in his justice and his beauty and his love. But then that bottom arrow that kind of drifts down there says growing in awareness of my flesh and my sinfulness. Again, as I mature as a believer, I should be sinning less. I should be killing sin with the help of God. But I grow more awareness I, have, I grow more aware of, of my debauchery and my depraved heart that continually seeks after wicked and is totally depraved, I become more aware of that. And when that happens, Jesus is the hero because I look at the holiness of God and says, I can't, I can't even fathom not sinning the way that God does, especially when I know the darkness of my heart. Jesus fills it in and says, I am your righteousness. We just sang that as well. But that's a perfect little world. It's not where we live. We live broken. And so we have a tendency to shrink the cross. And we use this phrase here a lot here at Hope, but legalism and license, that we tend to, to squish it with either looking at legalism, saying, okay, God, you didn't actually mean that because I can do it, right? When you say don't lie, I got this. I will never lie. You know what? As a matter of fact, I'm going to set a reminder on my phone, and every 15 minutes it's going to go off, and it's going to say, stop lying. And I'm going to remember to stop lying. Can't do it. 
All right, at the same time, going shrinking the cross from the top, coming down, right, of saying, okay, when God said don't lie, he didn't actually mean don't lie, right? I mean, that's a little ridiculous. You gotta be able to just sometimes, you know, I'm flirt with my girlfriend, right? Like, yeah, no, I'm pretty, pretty cool. You know, I, whatever, I was, nothing, nothing came to my mind, so that's what I said, okay? Uh, if you're in a dating relationship, don't, don't try that. I don't think it'll... I don't think that'll work, right? But we say, no, clearly God isn't as holy as he's claiming to be. Clearly the sin isn't as bad as it is. And clearly I can do this. I can figure it out. I can make it on my own, which made me think of um, Homestar Runner. Is that? Oh. All right. All right. So uh, for everyone older than me, let me explain. And younger, I guess, too. It's probably a very small window of people who watch this. Um, this was uh, like when the internet was new. Uh, and they could put graphics together. They had this thing. So this the guy there with the star, that's Homestar Runner, and the guy on the, on the left there is Strongback. And uh, they were just, it's just, I can't even begin to explain it. Anyways, this one episode, Strongback always picks on Homestar Runner. And there's one episode where he makes a bet with them, and they say, I bet I can make you cry. And he's like, you can't, like Homestar Runner's like, you can't make me cry. And he's like, yes, I can. And so Strong Bad draws a picture of a one-legged dog that's kind of in a pool of its own tears. And then there's this thought bubble above the dog that says, I can make it on my own, right? And then he, he takes this picture and he shows it to Homestar Runner. And he's like, yeah, right, immediately sobbing. You can, you can do it, you can make it. You can make it on your own. And that's what legalism is, all right? Legalism, <laughs> right? Listen, you're not even a one-legged dog. Right, you're a, you're a no-legged anything. You cannot, we shrink it. That's what we do all the time. We take this and we shrink the cross and therefore we rob Jesus Christ of the glory that's due his name. Because I think I can stop sinning by my own effort. I think God, that's not actually sin. And we shrink the cross. Do we do that? All right, we're gonna come back to that at the end. But going back now to, to Exodus, looking at this thing called stoppage. What happens here? And so picking up here in verse 21, it says, Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. All right, this, this dough, this flaky, whatever it is, melts away. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses, right? So they're like, this actually happened. Remember before when we gathered too much at it all rotted and got maggoty. This, this time it didn't, right? They're, they're excited about this. And he said to them, this is what Yahweh commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to Yahweh. All right, this is the first time we get this word in the Old Testament, Sabbath. And, and again, literally, like, like manna means what is it? Sabbath literally means stoppage. It is to be a day of stoppage a holy stoppage to Yahweh. So bake whatever you want to bake and boil what you want to boil, all right, with, with this manna. So it's, it's raw, maybe, and they gotta cook it the next day or the day before. They, they cook it the day before and then they, they stop preparing food and save whatever is left and keep it until morning. And so they saved it until morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a stoppage to Yahweh. You will not find it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather, in it, gather it, but on the seventh day, the stoppage, there will not be any. Here we go again. Nevertheless, <laughs> just 
Really? Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. All right. Then Yahweh said to Moses, it's, it's really hard here to not um, read it very sarcastically, what God is about to tell Moses here. Okay? He says, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? All right, I'm going I'm to I'm spell it out plainly for you here. Bear in mind that Yahweh has given you the stoppage. Remember, we talked about this before. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day, and no one is to go out, right? I just said this. So the people rested on the seventh day. They stopped. We're gonna look more at Sabbath and what that means, even for us culturally now here today, uh, when we get to the Big Ten, right? When we get to the Ten Commandments, we're gonna look at exactly what is Sabbath? What does it mean to stop um, it's interesting, the Corinne Church uh, in St. Paul, was, so we meet uh, at First Baptist Church, and then there's a, a Corinne language church, it's part of First Baptist Church, and then there's a Burmese church uh, that meets, and then we meet. So the two churches in for, before us, they speak Corinne at their services. They're native people from Myanmar, what was once Burma. And uh, they, their word for Sunday, and I'm not even gonna try to, to say it, but their, their, their word is, the word for rest, is their, it's just rest day. So it's rest and then rest day. That's what they, they call it. It's, it's a stoppage. The people rested on the seventh day, and the people of Israel called the bread, what is it? That's what they called it. All right, so looking at a little bit more, what is the what is it? All right, what is this stuff that we're, that we're looking at? Uh, Exodus, um, again, looking here, at, I don't know what verse that is, Thirty. 31, end of 31, it says this. It was like white coriander seeds, and it tasted like wafers made with honey. All right, now, uh, every commentary I read said that coriander seed was not a uh, description of what it tasted like. It, it tasted like wafers made with honey, right? So just this wa- wafa thin, right? This little thin wafer, right? This little tasty cookie, flaky cookie, buttery, flaky crust cookie with, with honey on it. Right, just, I mean, just tasty. Uh, and that's what he gives them. But coriander seeds, this is what maybe the, the color of it would have been, this kind of off-white, uh, pale white. That was kind of the, the description of, of the color. Just this tasty little morsel and treat. And it's funny because if, if you were here last week, we looked at numbers, looking into the future, and the people say, they cry out and they grumble against God again, and they say, we detest this miserable food. And they're talking about this, really tasty treat that they get to eat every day. But at the same time, if you ate the same food for 40 years, you'd probably start to complain too. Just a wild guess. All right, but it's this tasty thing, which I, I love, again, hear what Stuart says about this. It's a, it's a shame that such a wonderful divine provision should have come about as a result of faithless grumbling on part of the people. How much better it would have been had the Israelites prayed patiently and trustingly for God's answer to their lack of food a month into their Exodus journey. Grumbling is hardly to be commended, and it is not in itself worthy of reward. God, however, still heard it and graciously responded, not in kind, that is, with a poor quality provision suitable for grumblers, but with a miraculous, tasty, nutritious, and sufficient food exactly what he would have sent if they prayed faithfully in the first place. His goodness 
to his people is not dependent on their willingness to respect him as they ought. You hear that? God is good. This is not to say that respect for God's will is irrelevant to his rewards, only that his temporal as opposed to eternal rewards often do not correlate with temporal behavior. And it made me think of passages uh, in scripture that say the, that why does the, the sun rise on both the, 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 the wicked and the righteous? Right, that God blesses all people. It's the, the kind of the theological phrase is common grace. He gives grace to people in this way that, that we get to see the, the blessings of life. Uh, there's a song I used to sing growing up called uh, Count Your Many Blessings, Name Them One by One, and it will surprise you to see what God has done. Right, it's pretty good. Count Your Many Blessings. And you know what's funny is we don't, uh, this is a total aside, this has nothing to do with anything. We don't do um, catechisms. Uh, if you grew up in a Lutheran or Catholic church, you did catechisms where you'd memorize these things as, as children and you'd be catechized. You'd, you'd learn the, the theology of the church. And, and, and this happened to me and this happens, those of you who are parents, this happens to your kids when they sit in the service. When they, when they read and sing these beautiful hymns with incredibly rich theology, they're being catechized. They're, they're learning what it is. And so I, there's not a day that goes by where I don't think of these old hymns and I count my blessings. This is, this is something that anybody can do. You don't have to be a, a believer even of God, but to say, I mean, there's good things that happen around me and everything isn't awful. There's some good things that happen to, to me, right? Whether it's the sun or the rain, uh, the Mall of America, right? It's just, just blessings. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter six. Um, the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? And he answers them with this. This then is how you should pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The, the way that your will is perfectly being carried out in heaven where you dwell God, would that be true here? Would we obey your will the same exact way? Then he says thus, give us today our what is it? Give us today this blessing that I need to rely on every day that I wake up and say, God, I, I need you. That it's not just, again, the physical bread. We're Americans. We have food. There's free bread downstairs if you want it. We don't really worry about this too much. God takes care of our spiritual need. And again, God, God provides. So finishing up the passage in Exodus as we kind of transition into New Testament stuff here in a minute, he says this. Moses said, this is what Yahweh has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread that I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and then place it before Yahweh to keep it for the generations to come. And then there's kind of this, this footnote that happens. It's really interesting. If, if you read um, uh, like textual criticism and people who say, man, Moses didn't write this stuff, this part here is a footnote that was added much later. But it's funny because people will attack that but then all the experts say, even, even people who, who, who aren't you know, believers in, in, in God, but they, they critique scripture, they say this actually helps the authority of the Bible, uh, this next footnote, because it's, it's showing the antiquity of the book of Exodus. It says this, so as Yahweh commanded Moses and Aaron, uh, put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law. So he said, put the manna with the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments haven't even been close to being written yet. All right, so someone else is writing this, so that it may be preserved. 
right? And where are they going to put it? They put it in the Ark of the Covenant, all right? So they put the manna and the tablets and Aaron's rod that we learned from Hebrews in the Ark of the Covenant that it may be preserved. And the Israelites ate manna 40 years. God provides day in, day out for 40 years until they came to the land that was settled, Canaan. And they ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. And then this last verse here, an omer is one-tenth of an ephah, right? So, so the, what an omer was was lost in translation until they added this. They knew what an ephah was, and they could do, do that. So this footnote saying this book is really old, and it points to that. And so God provides his good. And just like last week, as we looked at the serpent being held up on the snake as someone was bit that God doesn't, he's not just in the business of physical healing. He's not just in the business of providing our physical needs of food. He's in the business of providing eternal nourishment for us. So I'm gonna look at John chapter six, starting at verse 25. I just wanna read from Jesus. What does Jesus teach about this? So again, context, he has just finished feeding the 5,000. All right, the little boy walks out and he gives them two, two loaves of bread and five, or five loaves and two fishes. Did I mix that up? Some, a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread. He comes out and Jesus blesses this and he breaks the bread and there's so much, he feeds everybody and to the point where there's 12 baskets full of leftovers. All right, everyone eats their fill. And so when these people had found Jesus, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you. That's another one of those uh, redundancies, all right? So in Hebrew, uh, it would be verily, verily, or truly, truly, right? He's saying, like, like I'm, I'm speaking the truth here, okay? I'm, I'm making sure you know it. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the sign I performed, you see the miracle, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. If we did uh, all-you-can-eat, like Chick-fil-A buffet here every week, this place would probably be a little bit fuller, right? I mean, like, you bring your friends, you bring your, like, every week, yeah, it's was, it was free food. But you came for your fill. You didn't care about the signs. You didn't care about the, the teaching of Jesus. Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils. Do not do not work for what is it that spoils from maggots overnight, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? I love this. What works must we do? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, believe. Believe in the one he has sent. I don't know if you, what kind of background you come from as far as maybe legalism, me growing up in a, in a very traditional church and, and following the rules, right? I can, I can make it on my own. I can kill sin on my own. I don't need this. My salvation was dependent on me killing sin, and it's not. Your salvation is dependent on believing in the one who has been sent. It's just like the rich young ruler. Rich young man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you lack one thing. And then he says, sell all you have, 
give to the poor, follow me. Now, either Jesus is bad at math or there's something else that he's got in mind here. Believe. There's one thing you lack. It's me. They continue. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe it? Perform another miracle. I just saw saw you feed 5,000. Do it again. What will you do? Our ancestors ate what is it in the wilderness? As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always, always give us this bread. But again, still, they're still thinking physically. Tangible bread I can eat and fill my belly. Then Jesus declared, right, no more believe in the one who he sent. I am the bread of life. I am salvation. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He's not talking physically. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. And all those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those that he has given me, but raise them up on that last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, just as that serpent was lifted up. If we just look on him and believe, and I will raise them up on that last day. It's more than the physical. It's just spiritual nourishment. So when we bow our heads to God the Father and say, God, give us today my daily bread. Beat that gospel into my head every single day because I am constantly shrinking the cross all the time. God, you are good. And you died for me so that I can kill sin and I get to kill sin. So, in closing, application. Do you shrink the cross? What is, what is it? How do you shrink it? And everyone's gonna be different. My thing might not be your thing. You might share your sin with me and I'll go, that's why do you struggle with it? I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> everyone's got a different thing. But how, how do we... Sh- do we shrink it? Do we, do we minimize it saying, no, clearly that was, that's a cultural thing. Clearly that's a whatever thing. Not actually expected to obey that. Or do we say, yeah, no, no, I can do that perfectly. I got this. Do we shrink that cross instead of magnify him? Maybe just simply count your blessings. Maybe that person who just looks around and says, man, everything kind of is awful. And when you get to that, you maybe go, man, yeah, everything is awful. Like, no, no, I'm, I got no blessings to count. It would be better for me to be in Egypt. I understand that. There's people who are there. But the greatest blessing is the bread of life that God has provided for you over and over. And so finally, have you eaten and tasted that bread? Have you enjoyed what it's like to be in fellowship and communion with the creator of the universe and feel satisfied in your soul? That's what it's all about. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray?
Heavenly Father, you are so good. Even when we disobey you, Jesus, that when we commit treason against you and we, we worship your creation rather than you, Jesus, God, would we look at our life and even regardless of the circumstance, look to you who is the author and finisher of our faith. You are so good. So God, will you be honored and magnified by our singing? We can't make you any bigger or holy. But God, I pray that we would just recognize as we stand in your presence and as we sing back to you the glory that's due your name. For it's in Christ's most beautiful, precious, glorious name of the bread of heaven, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.